You won't see him on MTV, and he hasn't had a top 10 hit since the Carter administration. So who is Jimmy Buffett, and how come he shows up year after year on the list of top moneymakers in the entertainment business? Well, if you've ever thought about chucking it all and running off to the Florida Keys or the Caribbean, you probably know who Jimmy Buffett is. For the uninitiated, he is a writer, singer, performer, and one of the top concert draws in the country. He is also the author of two best-selling books and now has his sights set on Broadway. Don't let his persona as the poster boy for midlife crisis fool you. Jimmy Buffett is the mogul of Margaritaville. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Welcome in, everybody. That was uh, 60 minutes from, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. And this is the Stone On Air podcast. And the computer's working again. The internet's screaming. Everything is A-OK, right? Well, not so much. Went to plug in the microphone, and it doesn't work. So using the backup equipment once again, which will be a bit of a challenge, but I'm here for it. On September 7th. And I don't want to bore you with techni- technical stuff and all that. I mean, I'm a very simpleton when it comes to really uh, anything. <laughs> if uh, a car, if a computer, if uh, an, an electronic, if a TV, anything that might need service. If I go to turn it on and it doesn't work, then that's about as far as it goes for me. The troubleshooting list on most things is quite small. And so while I thought I had finally fixed my main uh, setup here, I'm almost there, so still using the backup, which is annoying because I'll be playing some audio for you today, and it's hard for me to see those levels. If you're here regularly, you hear me complaining about this every week, so I'll just stop right there. A lot to get to today, so I want to move fast. I don't want to waste any time. Um, A pretty typical layout. I'll give you the three segments in the... I switched it up a little bit here last minute. Second segment of the show... Yeah, Jimmy Buffett, uh, love him or hate him or like him okay or indifferent or think he's kind of cartoonish, whatever your thoughts might be. I, um, I I don't know where I am as far as a fan, but I think I've figured it out a little bit more today. I'll talk about that and uh, read a couple of things I thought were quite interesting and tell you a story. You know, I love telling Bonnaroo stories uh, from 2009 when I saw the, the only time I saw Jimmy Buffett and it was one of my favorite days ever on the farm. So I will do that in the second segment of the show. In the final segment of the show, the preview of Moon River that I've been talking about for weeks now, I'll still do. But as I'm putting that together, the big news is, and I I don't know anything more than anybody else, uh, as of record time, camp, spelled with two A's for whatever reason, The headliner on Saturday night uh, canceled their entire tour for the rest of the year, which includes Moon River on Saturday. A mental health issue, so I hope all is well in everybody involved with the band camp. 
I don't care anything about them, so it doesn't change my uh, thoughts going into the weekend, but a lot of people did. So um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll give a little bit of speculation as to what I think the Moon River Brass will do and continue on with the, uh, the preview of this weekend's festival as it is almost here. And um, yeah, just a damn shame. And Moon River just seems to have a lot of bad luck. It's just, uh, it is just a shame, at least in the last couple of years anyway. So we'll get to that in the third segment of the show. And I'll get you three pieces of audio here in about 10, 11 minutes from now. The best idea, the worst idea, and the coolest thing. We'll start off here. I won't play the audio to bore you. Braves magic number is 11. They're getting beat as of a uh, time that I'm recording right now, but they will wrap up their six in a NL East division title within the next two weeks or so. So that makes me excited. I saw this today uh, because I saw mayor Tim Kelly posted. He was going to be on one of the shows, something about Chattanooga pod Nuga casting thing or something or other. And I was like, what the, what is this? I've never heard of it. And I went to it still, you know, okay. I don't know what this is. And then I see that it is part of the pod Nuga network. And I thought the pod Nuga network, what the hell is that? And being one of the more prominent, if I do say so myself podcast in the city, seems like something I should know about. So I went to their, uh, to their link tree says the Pod Nuga Network is the ultimate destination for podcasters and businesses looking to take their online presence to the next level. Our vibrant community of talented individuals is united by a passion for great content and local connections. We are actively recruiting new shows to join the Pod Nuga Network. If your show is from, about, or has anything to do with Chattanooga, we want to hear from you. It goes on to talk about we connect with thousands of people and brands and advertisers yet their instagram page has about 148 followers and is not followed by a single person that i know which i found to be quite strange because i know a lot of people in the entertainment and news and content creation industry in this city so they're really not getting that far of a reach if they are not followed by a single damn person that i know the uh, final line here on um their about Linktree page. Whether you have 10 listeners or tens of thousands of listeners, our team can work with you to strategize growth and monetization. Join our vibrant community. Well, I don't have 10 listeners and I don't have tens of thousands of listeners. Somewhere in the middle, I guess. And uh, I'm going to reach out to them, but uh, I don't, I, that was news to me uh, as of today. This past weekend, I was talking to some friends and we were talking about just prominent, crazy types that run for office in the southeast and in the city of Chattanooga and the, the region. And for some reason, John Wolf's name came up. Somebody has said, hey, what was that that crazy attorney that used to run for all these offices? And I was like, John, John Wolf. I used to run his Saturday show on the old talk station when he used to pay for time on there. And uh, we started just kind of laughing it up and talking about the uh, old crazy John Wolf. Well, he passed away, and that is unfortunate. I liked John because he treated me well, but he certainly was uh, a different guy. He uh, ran for Congress in 98, mayor here in 2001. He ran for Congress again in 2002 and 2004, and most recently has been the uh, representation, or at least his firm has, 
for uh, the, uh, the the people all pissed off about the shady, I almost said Shady Grove, Shady's Corner, that bar over there off Central. He was representing the the old codgers over there that are mad about that. So um, that was uh, just notable, if nothing else, sad to hear of the passing of John Wolf. So let's see. Two main things here on the open. I got to move quick. The Naughty Cat situation, the... Um, a little bit of an interesting business concept. Never really understood exactly what it is. I mean, I know it's to help try to um, find homes for wayward cats. And I'm a weird cat guy. And so, I, you know, it's neat. I know they get, or at least I thought they did, get some government uh, assistance. And so, good for them. But the big story last week was the sign that that's out by the road that says 30 cats inside or something, which sounds like a effing nightmare to take care of 30 cats but anyway that big cell position there is that sign well for some reason somehow somebody caught wind of this as a sign ordinance issue in the city of chattanooga and it it's no different really the sign than you would see outside in front of the southern star on Brainerd Road, Brainerd, on Broad Street downtown across from my old work where I used to go to lunch and dinner two or three times a week, that they would put the sign outside. It's very uh, similar to a sign like that. And I, I, it's, this is in St. Elmo technically, and I don't. it's not a municipality amongst itself. It is a portion of the city of Chattanooga. So the ordinances should be the same unless districts have different sign um, ordinances that I'm not familiar with. So I went to chat.gov or whatever the website is to try to see what's going on here. What is, you know, let's go through the sign ordinance and see. Well, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but it's 58 pages long, the sign ordinances for the city of Chattanooga. The person who wrote that, an attorney likely, doesn't remember any of this. No elected officials know the ins and outs of this 58-page document. And uh, I would imagine that no city council members or or county commissioners know anything about this without having to refer it or, more likely, their legal team. And I once upon a time used to be from the old cliche of rules were meant to be broken. And as an older man now, and uh, I've been like this for a while now, I don't believe that rules are meant to be broken. I believe they could be meant to potentially bend to see what you can get away with. But if you don't like a rule, you don't ignore it. You try to amend it. You try to change it. If you don't like a law, you don't ignore it. You push to have it altered. And that was the case, if you remember, with Cox Bakery downtown, just down the street from uh, Southern Star that I'm talking about, at the corner of 20th and Broad, they had the big mural with all the flying donuts, such a cool-looking mural. It was one of the first ones downtown. Now it's all the rage, put up a mural everywhere. And it was against the sign ordinances. And we had this conversation on the air at the talk station about they were talking about going in and saying, you got to paint over it. I mean, this beautiful painting that was probably spent tens of thousands of dollars potentially to do, they were going to like paint over it black or something. It was like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You can't do this. Well, of course they can do that if they wanted to. They didn't. I don't remember how that ended up, uh, how that ordinance ended up being changed or if it just plain got thrown out completely or what in the next session of council. I don't know. But 
uh, you don't like the rule, get it changed. Well, the problem is nobody understands what the rule that was broken is. And all I can figure out here, because after going through just two or three or four pages of this 58-page ordinance, nothing here is the tip of the tongue. Nothing here is top of mind. Nobody understands any of this stuff. I got to ask, who, who's mad at you, Naughty Cat? Who's mad at, at the business owners? Who's mad at the people who potentially are uh, patroning this place? Where, where are your enemies is what I would say to them. I thought about reaching out to have somebody on, but then things got too complicated for other reasons and other things I wanted to talk about. And maybe if this continues to be a thing, I'll go down that road. But that would be my question to them. Somebody's mad at you. Somebody, somebody has an, a grievance of some sort, and that's all I can guess. So figure out who that person is, start from there, follow the money, follow the grievances, and find out who decided to sift through 58 pages of legal jargon to tell you your sign was, was illegal when signs just like it all over the city are seemingly perfectly legal. Now, to switch to another uh, fun target of mine as of late and many others, the Blue Light, a bunch of punk-ass hacks, posted on their Instagram last week, why is the city of Chattanooga so hostile and unwelcoming to small business? As they also posted a repicture a post of what Naughty Cat had posted. Why does the city make it so difficult, all caps, to operate a small business here? Female-owned businesses, black-owned businesses, and businesses like ours, where the vast majority of staff and customers are women and minorities, they seem to have the be the biggest targets, and we'd like to know why, all caps. Why is this question mark, question mark, question mark? We deserve answers, Mayor Kelly and the city of Chattanooga. Way to go, hacks. Way to go, jerks. Way to make something that has nothing to do with you try to make it have plenty to do with you when you and the Naughty Cat Cafe are on two different planets, two different galaxies, two different universes. You're not the same thing. Stop acting like you are. And the other one here with uh, Weston Womp, another target of mine here regularly, uh, a couple of things quickly. So all that mess with Red Bank at the Pachyderm Club, well, what happened the next day, and someone pointed this out to me, and I want to thank a listener for doing that. Uh, I did not come up with this on my own. The next day, the headline from the Times Free Press was Panel OK's $216,000 in to dispute. County leaders have authorized approximately $305,000 for expenses since, since Mayor Westa Womp attempted to fire County Attorney Reuben Taylor last October. I don't have time to reset all of this, but it was the first thing he did, Weston did, when he got into office to be adversarial, because that's what he does, was try to fire the county attorney. Um, Womp says, it's time to move on. Quote, I've had conversations with all of you at some point over the last year about this situation. He's talking to the commissioners here. I've learned a lot about how slow the, judi the judicial system moves. It is in the best interest of the county to move on at this point. You're, you expect me to believe that Weston Womp just now figured out at 36 years old and the county mayor that the judicial system moves slowly in any setting, in any municipality, in any city, in any federal court, in any local circuit, chancellery court, or wherever. 
Oh, yeah. News news here. Oh, I didn't know it takes so long in the courts. Let's just move along. No, you screwed up, dude. You screwed up again, just like you consistently do, because if you get bored, you pick fights, and a lot of us are tired of it. But I will give him credit on this one. Quickly. I'm sorry. I keep saying quickly because I got to move. Um, I saw on Twitter a lady named Hallie Burton posted... I'm beyond excited to finally share I have completed my first first week in my new role as press secretary for Hamilton County and Weston Womp, who I have fervently believed in since I volunteered on his congressional campaign nearly 10 years ago. Let's do this, and then a bunch of emojis, at Hamilton County TNGov. Well, I quote tweeted it and said, well, maybe you can ask which Hamilton County community he will trash next. And whether or not that hate will have a direct correlation to which commissioner he doesn't like that day. Thanks, asking for the entire county. A response to that one from Tony Dickerson was, she could also ask Weston why he he earns $180,000 a year as CEO of the Millennial Debt Foundation. I didn't do any fact-checking to find out if that was true. And then a separate post that I just put on X, Twitter, Legitimate question. I wonder how many other Hamilton County mayors have had a press secretary. I'm just surprised it took Weston Womp this long to appoint one, honestly. I wish you luck, Haley B423, and hope to meet you in the future. And Weston sent me a direct message. So thank you, Weston. It said, it's a position that existed under Coppinger, but was focused only on social media. We filled the position early on, but our first hire moved away decided to change a title to press secretary to fit our needs better and play a broader role in, co- in comms and communications. I responded, I sincerely appreciate the note, Weston. Thank you. No, Weston, you appointed a press secretary so you can continue to get your name in the press as often as possible. And we'll just end on that note. Right there. Let's do three pieces of audio as quick as I can. Today, the best idea is Bill O'Reilly. Wait, what? The best idea comes from Bill O'Reilly? McConnell, okay? McConnell should resign tomorrow, and his wife should make that happen. McConnell is not healthy enough to be the Senate minority leader. Dianne Feinstein should quit tomorrow as a senator from California because she is not healthy enough. And Joe Biden should resign, not tomorrow, but somewhere down the line after the Democrats set up someone who can actually compete for the office because Biden cannot. All right. And we should have term limits in this country. Absolutely should have them. This is ridiculous to have people sitting there like Ms. Feinstein, who doesn't even know where she is. And McConnell, I feel sorry for him. It looks like he's going to have a stroke. I mean, come on, let's get these people the help they need and get other people in who can run the country. Is that illogical? No, it's not. I never thought in a million years the best idea would come from Bill O'Reilly. Today's worst idea, and I'll have a quick commentary on the other side. It's only about 12 seconds long. I started sleeping a lot more when I got sober and people were like, oh, it must have been because alcohol was interfering with your sleep, which is true in part. But mostly it's because I just found that being awake got a lot less interesting. (laughs) It's true. I did the math today. 199 days on Thursday, September 7th. I have been sober and man, sober living is getting old. It it really is. I'm getting pretty bored with it, but I'm going to stick with it. 
I'm going to. I promise. I hope, anyway. And real quickly, to wrap up the open segment, today's coolest thing is if Green Day had written Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Nibble it on sponge cake Watching the sun bake All of these stories covered with oil Strumming a six-string what it would sound like if Green Day had written and performed Jimmy Buffett's iconic, whether you like it or not, Margaritaville. And speaking of Jimmy Buffett, we lost him to skin cancer. Just read that today. There was no immediate uh, mention as to what uh, he had passed from. So I guess sitting in the sun and drinking margaritas your whole life isn't good for you. But uh, regardless of your thoughts on his music, his imprint on lifestyle of men and women of a certain age is uh, quite fascinating and I'll stretch out on that and tell you my story of seeing Jimmy Buffett at Bonnaroo in 2009 coming up next Jimmy Buffett passed away over the weekend. Greg, um, that one phrase, Margaritaville, that expanded into a lifestyle and expanded into properties and restaurants and everything else, that one thing actually made Jimmy Buffett a billionaire, right? Yeah. Wow. You know, he wrote a ton of songs and, and yes. he was admired by a lot of musicians because of his songwriting prowess and, and what a good songwriter he was. But yes, it was that one song and his ability as a businessman to turn that one song into an empire that really, yes. you know, kinda kinda defined him more than all his other work. This is one of my favorites. This one and Pirate Looks at Forty. I got my hush puppies on. I guess I never And it's because of that line right there mainly. Two reasons, really. Two reasons. I got my hush puppies on. Yes, later in the life of the brand Hush Puppies, they basically made shoes for middle-aged men and women, guys on boats, housewives, and it was not an overly cool brand. But in the 70s, and maybe even into the 80s, and for me, and into the 90s, Hush Puppies made a version of the Dope Smoker, if you know what I'm talking about, the Wallabies. I don't have time to explain and look it up. And Clark's was the main brand of Wallaby Dope Smokers, but Hush Puppies made, to me, the more fashionable, more comfortable brand. And I wore Hush Puppy Dope Smokers 
for years. And so when I heard, I got my hush puppies on. And then just the typical, not as much about a woman, but the story of a weekend that is just a mess. A brown L.A. haze. A drunken debauchery that I'm just tired of and don't want anymore. Come Monday, everything will be all right. And that's how that song identified with me. Not nearly as much about the, the woman in my life and more about the shoes, the party on the Labor Day weekend show, which was somewhat fitting with him passing over Labor Day weekend. Um, Pirate Looks at 40 is, is a better song. And really, at the end of the day, they're the same song. <laughs> And that's the truth and the case with so many institutions of music. There's very few that that do it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and make music that's really that much distinguishedly different than everything else that they've done. It's just, it's a style. It's a flavor. And, and some people, if you, they don't like it, use that against an artist. And some will use that in the complete opposite way and love it even more. I mean, just start picking bands. The Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, um, you know, just start just going down the list. I mean, they, they sound a lot alike. Uh, more contemporary, Coldplay. I love Coldplay, except for Jesus. Can you make a song that sounds a little different once in a while? So that's just something that every, every artist and performer and band has to, um, I guess, deal with and, and handle it however they feel accordingly. And many of Jimmy Buffett's songs are are clown shows to me. Um, years ago, I, I fell out of love with any, any love that I did have for Jimmy Buffett. I mean, Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw? I used to think was the coolest song. It was so great. That song's dumb. It's just dumb. And that's true with a lot of them. But then there's so many that are so poignantly, beautifully perfect and uh, so celebratory and fun and light and lifestyle inducing. It's um, it's it's just it's really it's good stuff. And, and to to not like it is fine. You know, that that's that's totally fine. But to dislike it because of all those reasons is kind of foolish. It's not really a very good look. Um, but I I had a lot of friends that stuck with the Buffett thing as we got into our adult years, late, you know, mid, late twenties into our early thirties. And I just, you know, it just became, it's almost like an extension of the country music crowd, like the, the not good country music crowd, but they're fine people I'm sure, or maybe they're not, whatever. I don't know. It's just like the jam band community has got its, its really bad portions of it. The, the uh, convention community, whether it's Comic-Con or any of those other kind of things, they got people that are freaks and geeks and weirdos, and so are the Parrot Heads. And I had really no interest in being involved with that. I knew a lot of people that would all get together and they'd all go hit the Parrot Head shows and get their hours in advance. I mean, it was a damn party. It was a circus, just like a fish show is a circus, just like a Grateful Dead show was a circus and widespread panic just name it just like a nascar race just like well college football games you know it, it's an institution and I, i'm not even beginning to speak to his brands and the the restaurants and and how key west is basically is margaritaville and 
uh, all it's a lot of th- things I won't have time to get to. But I did, you know, I always want to see the circus. I always want to see the show at least once. I like the big event. I like to give it a look. I want to be able to say I did that. Uh, I had tickets, you know, I have, well, I'm a Titans season ticket holder. I'll talk more about how I'm never going to be that again soon. But uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots came to Nashville a couple of three years ago, and I could have sold those tickets for three times the amount I paid for them, but I didn't because I had to go and say I saw Tom Brady. I don't like Tom Brady. I don't care anything about him. I can't go to my grave and not sit around and talk to a young person or anybody who wants to hear about it and not tell them about the time I went and saw Tom Brady. So I am going to read very short excerpts from pieces from The Ringer, The New Yorker, and Spin Magazines, or their online versions, here in just a few minutes. But first, we'll go to Bonnaroo 2009. And this will take a minute. So in uh, between the years of 2007 and nine, things were changing for me drastically in a lot of ways that I won't bore you with. But at that time, I didn't have a home base at Bonnaroo. And I also worked Riverbend for the radio station most years. And it was crazy to people, but I did this, and to me it was totally normal. I would go home from Bonnaroo sometimes more than once over the course of a weekend. I did it in 2006, seven. I did it every year for probably four years. And in 2009, I uh, was out of work in radio. It was the first time I got let go as a budget cut because of the disaster that was 09 after the crash, market crash of 08. And I did not have a media credential, I don't think, or if I did, I didn't have anything else but that. But either way, I still at this point didn't have a home base. And so I was going to go home and it wasn't one of my favorite uh, festival years as far as the lineup went. And um, Fish was playing on Friday night and I remember being there and on Friday and I just was like, I don't want to wake up in this field at 5 a.m. after seeing stupid fish. I'm going home. So I went home Friday night. With every intention on coming back on Saturday, because Saturday was loaded. There was so much I wanted to see on Saturday. And the biggest one was a late night, or for these days it wouldn't be considered that late night, but like a midnight show, 11.30, 12, something like that, of Nine Inch Nails. And it was going to be Nine Inch Nails' final show. Now, it turns out that's not the case. They've toured plenty since then. But at the time, they were billing this as their farewell, at least tour, but it might have been the final time they were going to play at all. But it was certainly going to be the final time I had to see Nine Inch Nails. And so that was going to be a big day. Also playing that day, the Beastie Boys. Uh, Fish playing for the second night. Mo Snoop Dogg's first appearance. Government Mule. I never pass up a mule show. David Byrne. Um, and uh, several, Merle Haggard for crying out loud. It was just a typical, really good day at Bonnaroo. And at that time in 2009, yes, there's social media. There is Facebook. MySpace is still hanging around. Twitter is brand new. And I was on these platforms, but we didn't have smartphones. Not all of us. I don't, I think I did. I, was, I bet I was using a Blackberry about that time. But getting quick updates wasn't something you were going to get. And so I had no insider information at this point i had no guy or gal on the ground in the media area at radio bonnaroo that i eventually would have every year going forward but that year i did not and i don't remember where i got it it might have just been bonnaroo.com but 
uh, at noon on Saturday in 2009, June 15th to be exact, the Coral Reefer Band All-Stars were opening the day on the Witch Stage, which is the second main stage. At noon, all right? If you're going to have a full day, you're generally probably not going to start your day in Senaru at noon, especially on a Saturday. If you've been there for a couple of days, you're probably going to try to rest as much as possible. And at this point, when a rumor starts to go around that Jimmy Buffett might be showing up to play with the Coral Reefers, of course, that's his backing band, if you didn't know, for all those years, the Coral Reefer All-Star Band. And I took the bait. I said, I can't assume this to be made up. I have to get up and get back in to Bonnaroo in time to see this. Because I this, this is an opportunity I cannot miss. And I was running late to get out of town. And I got, you gain an hour going to the farm, to Middle Tennessee. And I got there. And I was, I mean, I was pushing it. God damn, I was pushing it. And um, and I finally get in. I get parked in day parking back then. It was a different, whole different world than it is now. And I haul ass into Centeru. And as I'm walking up, here comes the band starting as I walk up. And Jimmy Buffett walks out on stage. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I can't believe what I'm about. Like, this is real. I can't believe this is real. I know 2009 doesn't sound that long ago. But it was primitive compared to where it is now as far as communication goes. There was not that many people there, but plenty enough people to have a little mini party. I've got his set list. He opened with Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw. I can only imagine I went crazy. Changes in Latitude, Son of a Sailor, Cheeseburger in Paradise, which is the dumbest song ever, Volcano, um, a few other ones I'm not as familiar with, Scarlet Begonias, for crying out loud, covering the Grateful Dead at Bonnaroo, Jimmy Buffett, excuse me, what? Oh, my God. Um, the last few, Fins, which is a just a blast live. Everybody does the fins to the left, fins to the right. Put your hands up in the air like you're doing a safety call in uh, NFL football. If you happen to know what that is, that's what the fins uh, uh, signature thing is during his songs. A pirate looks at 40, brown-eyed girl, and then, of course, closed with Margaritaville. And I guzzled beer and smoked weed and just, I mean, just had a freaking party. And beers were actually still quite affordable back then. And I was, you know, making the best friends of my life. I'm calling people that I know are big parrot heads. I'm like, this is just, this is, this is incredible. And it's still to this day one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. And it wasn't because it was the best show, because it certainly wasn't. Just the, the circumstantial nature of it, the anecdotes of it. And, but I went so hard and it's so hot. And I went and passed out somewhere. I found a shade area, but I went as long as I could throughout the day. And I continued to go hard and drinking and smoking, just like I always did, mainly drinking and just, you know, having a great day until I wasn't. And I don't remember how the day ended and night ended. And I don't know, I don't remember where I ended up. I'm sure I ended up in the backseat of my car or laying on the ground somewhere. You know, I, I ended up a Jimmy Buffett song for crying out loud. Something to not be so proud of a lot of the times. But I miss Nine Inch Nails. 
And I miss Government Mule, which is fine. You'll see them a thousand times. And I missed David Byrne. And I missed Fish later that night. The biggest thing was missing Nine Inch Nails. I was upset at myself. But at that point, it was like I had to pick one. And I felt like I picked the right one. But and another one that we wouldn't know till later, that night, that evening, the Beastie Boys played. The what stage? It was a final performance ever. The final Beastie Boys performance ever with the three of them was that night. But I wouldn't change a thing. I absolutely, positively would not change a thing. That salvaged a terrible year for me. Really, overall, a terrible Bonnaroo. But that is a story I will always love to tell, and I've told it a few times over the years, and unfortunately the circumstances of currently gave me the reason to tell it today. Real quickly from the ring. Now, I want to start with Spin. Spin Magazine. Margaritaville is still Jimmy Buffett's highest charting single. It was a song that made the singer an icon that launched an empire of restaurants, merchandise, a short story collection, frozen foods, liquor, and now Buffett's own brand of marijuana. Often forgotten when discussing Buffett and his dominance in marketing and selling his unique brand is that the dude is a gifted songwriter. Sure, his voice may be an octave or two below angelic and his guitar playing is rudimentary folk at best, but he makes for a great Jimmy Buffett. His songs resonate because they're true. You might not drink to excess or even enjoy the beach, but you fucked up a good thing before. I quit drinking over seven years ago. The reasons are all the same. Too many regrets, too many apologies. Life becomes a never-ending hangover. I've seen friends and lovers come and go. Some come back. Most stay gone good forever. For two weeks, I was a resident of the Stardust Inn Motel in Barstow, California. Rock Bottomville, as I like to call it. Songs about fucking up resonate with me. My career in drinking coincides with my appreciation for Jimmy Buffett. The two go hand in hand. Yet my sobriety has in no way diminished my love for him. In fact, I would go as far to say that I understand the music better now than when I was bellied up at the bar, quietly slurring along to the jukebox. When I eventually began to understand what became crystal clear in the bright daylight of detox and what the narrator of Margaritaville finally gets to after two choruses is that it was, quote, my own damn fault. The hangovers, the failed relationships, the lost shakers of salt, all of it. Drunks tend to be complainers, resentful beings who can point fingers at everybody but themselves. Sooner or later, there's nobody left to blame. It's last call and you're the only one left. You look at your reflection in the unwashed mirror behind the bar and say it's my own damn fault. That's just a small portion of that op from Spin. And that brings me back to where I was just saying how I, I'm, I'm bored with being sober, which is true, but that resonates with me a lot too. Looking at things through a clear lens with a regular, uh, with, with regularity is uh, it, it's quite a, a better place to be and it helps you appreciate all those things. Quickly from the, ring, from the ringer, Jimmy Buffett never needed anyone to argue that he was an underrated all-time great. He certainly never aspired to be highbrow. No, he was here for both a good time and a long time. And by the time you could find teenage me 
ecstatically bellowing, I just bought a water water bed. It's filled up for me and you. That's why don't we get drunk and screw. A solid quarter century later, he'd already built his beach bum empire. Margaritaville was no longer just a song, but a whole deceptively chill lifestyle. Reportedly, his actual, you know, music accounted for a mere 5% of that fortune. But for all its expert frivolousness, the music always mattered. And his house style, breezy Caribbean-flavored country rock, like the Eagles if they actually took it easy, is still a dominant strain in country music today, even if it was way, way, way more appealing when Jimmy did it. And the final one here from the New Yorker, this one's short. In life and in death, the kitsch and the shtick have often overshadowed the songwriting on those earlier albums. He's one of those artists about whom it is possible to say that he has been both underrated and overrated. His fame and fortune and the goofiness of the Parrot Head sacraments may have made him an easier target for some critical snickering or outright dismissal. And honors and awards and the best backpats mostly eluded him. I am guilty of it too. I once called him a poor man's Gordon Lightfoot. All three of those were very, very long opinion pieces from those uh, three entities, and I just found those portions of it quite interesting and quite relatable. Jimmy Buffett, man, that was uh, that's a bummer, an absolute bummer. And uh, 76 is a long time. Uh, these days, I'd like to think it might go a little longer than that. 76 is only 30 three years away from where I'm at right now and that'll go by fast because as you know I always say time flies and it ain't got a thing to do with whether you're having any fun or not coming up next who's gonna play at Moon River on Saturday night the what day would that be the ninth well I don't know the answer to that but I'll speculate and give you a preview of the festival in Coolidge Park Coming up this weekend, I'll do that next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. To do what they did is a big, big, uh, what's the word, risk? is one word for them yeah you know the last thing they want to do is put on a bad show yeah i think it was risky on, on everybody's part you know like there's a lot of moving variables there as far as you know this the quality of the sound you know people are using there were some guitars that people had never played before that were just brought in because they needed some guitars because a lot of these artists here is on the truck so that every variable was was i mean leon bridges was downstairs being like i'm gonna guess i'm gonna figure out how to play guitar again and he's like down there with Abraham and they're just like rehearsing, like going through like, so we're shuffling all this stuff around downstairs, trying to give them their space to, you know, so they can get it together and rehearse and put on a good show. And yeah, man, I don't know what happened, but like every, the sound quality of everything was great. My lover's got humor. That was Barry Corder from the What Podcast and their guest. I didn't catch his name. I was quickly trying to find some audio to play. That's them discussing the contingency plan for last year's Sunday weather issue at Moon River. 
I'll reset it slightly here in a second. This is Hozier, the the biggest name on the lineup this this weekend. I don't think that's really debatable. Though I'm realizing now that the band Camp, spell it with two A's, thank you very much, was much more popular than I realized, which I, I guess I realized that once I saw them as headliners. But the Moon River Festival is not perfect for me every year. I love the style of music that they do, but after a while, there's only so much you can do of that kind of music. This is your most popular song. He'll be Sunday night, close things down. That should be a pretty big time. If you don't have a ticket, I would suggest hanging out on the Vets Bridge. Not Vets Bridge, Jeez, what am I talking about? Uh, the Walking Bridge, Walnut Street Bridge. Don't tell Sussman and everybody at Parks and uh, Rec and all them that I suggested that. You'd probably be mad at me. But do it. It'll be fun. Uh, but so, yeah, the news as of uh, record time, it was the same as it was earlier on Wednesday that Camp had to pull out and cancel their entire tour for some mental health issues. So all well wishes in that direction. Doesn't change anything for me. Will they r- shuffle the lineup? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, more on that in a minute. I said I was going to reset last year just a little bit. It was that Sunday we had some, with the What Podcast guys, we had some interviews set up, and one of them was with, um, oh, my God, why am I blanking on his name? From uh, Band of Horses, the lead singer. Uh, Jesus, his first name starts with a B. Damn it. Anyway, uh, we had a, a, a interview set up that I spent the whole night before getting ready for because I'm a huge fan and I was uh, going to kind of infiltrate their show a little bit, which I think it would would have been totally fine. Actually, I don't think. I know it would have been. Um, a lot of times I just help with sound and, and logistics and stuff like that. But I was um, uh, very much looking forward to that and got down there early and was getting ready and parked on the other side of the river and then this weather system's coming through. But it looks like it's going to blow through and there's a but there was a ton of weather earlier in the week. It was wet as hell on Saturday, but not too bad. And then that that just monster storm that came through just destroyed the grounds. And they had to cancel that day. And they uh, gave 50% refunds to anybody who bought tickets. So kudos to everybody involved. I've been a little bit critical of, of Drew Holcomb. I think he kind of created this festival as a way to put himself at the top of a bill that he normally wouldn't be at. I I think I jokingly, kidding, not kidding, say I bet he just moves his band and his, I, I know he's playing. It's called Goodbye Road or something with Johnny Swim and some others. I wouldn't be surprised if they just are now the de facto headliners on Saturday night. I, I have a feeling he won't be able to help himself. But there's so many people in Nashville residents now, um, and this is a Nashville based group for the most part. I mean, half everybody who plays at this festival every year live in Nashville. And you would think there's somebody sitting around doing nothing this weekend. I checked one. The first one on everybody's mind was, well, Isbel, Jason Isbel. I mean, he's, he plays in Chattanooga so frequently. Uh, I checked his schedule. He is in Iowa on Friday. So I highly doubt he's, well, I'll just go ahead and go out on a limb and say, there's no chance Jason Isbel's going to be here on Saturday. Uh, Cheryl Crow was booked for the festival the COVID year that it was canceled. A lot of people thought that was a little lame, little like maybe not quite star worthy of a headlining slot. 
I got my hand in there. Not me. I couldn't wait for it. I love Cheryl Crow. She lives in Nashville. I checked her tour dates. She is not touring. Now, does that mean she wants to just jump up and come down here and play? Probably not, you know. Um, somebody earlier just was like, well, Noah's playing. Miley's sister, maybe Miley would come play. I was like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. So when, when you find out who's going to be headlining Saturday, will probably be the same time that I find out. But um, I, I got a couple of texts from people early on saying this is the only reason that I got tickets. I would have never spent this much money to uh, to go to this if it wasn't for this band camp. And this is their song Peach Fuzz, which I don't particularly like. And it was uh, a single when I was over at Alt 98.7 in, um, uh, from 2017 to, to 2020. And so there's really no reason to play it for you because here's what you won't hear. Um, but plenty others here to get to to talk about this weekend. Some I know, some I don't. I want to thank uh, Cheyenne who helped me pick some of these out, a friend of mine who is a big festival uh, type like myself. And I just sent a text and said, hey, pull a few songs for me here because I'm in a hurry to, to try to get some of these uh, off the ground to figure out what uh, I want to do with the show today. And uh, I was, I'm was i familiar with this one. First Aid Kit's going to be on the Iris stage. So there's the Poplar stage and the Iris stage. Forgive me, those are flowers, right? Or are they trees? It's some kind of species of something that grows out of the ground. Anyway, the Iris stage is the technically the second stage, but they're virtually the same size, and they and they don't overlap. So it's it's not really a main stage versus a not main stage kind of thing they're a Swedish sisters a duo with a, a couple other members in the band from Stockholm to be exact this one is called My Silver Lining first aid kit on Sunday evening at 6.15 try not to hold on to what is gone I try to do right what is wrong I try to keep on keeping on yeah I just keep on keeping on I mean, it sounds fine to me. And again, this is where I have to apologize on the levels. I can't hear things as well as I should. Um, now, the festival started in Memphis. I think it was 2014. And it was a pretty, pretty, pretty small thing in in Memphis. And it grew quickly. And then in 2018, they moved the festival to Chattanooga at Coolidge Park in five years already. I mean, snap your fingers. It's crazy. And it seems like Judah and Lions play damn near every time. They're Nashville guys, Belmont kids. The university just outside of town produces a lot of musicians. They have a clearly a, a big music program there. Some of their alumni would be uh, Trisha Yearwood, Coin that played at Riverbend this year, Moon Taxi, which has played both Riverbend and I'm pretty sure Moon Taxi has been to Moon River, and maybe they haven't. Maybe that's one to look for as a possible replacement, even though I think they're on tour right now. Uh, Brad Paisley and Leanne Womack, if you remember her, country artist, also Belmont types. 
And this will be 8.15 on Sunday, right after the first aid kit show, Judah and the Lion. I don't think they actually have played every year, but as I mentioned, it sure sounds or feels like they uh, have. This is one I needed some help with. And I apologize, too. I don't know where the, as we call it in the industry, the posts hitting the mark. I don't know where they are. So I'm just kind of making this up as I go. Uh, Saturday afternoon from 2 until 2.45. 45 minutes set. That sucks. For anybody. Uh, sometimes festivals are annoying because of that. They are a Florida-based band. They're called Flip Turn. This song is called August. And uh, I will likely be there. I think we actually have an interview lined up with this band uh, for the What Podcast. I think on Saturday. I'll find out. Weather is going to be fantastic. In case you wondered, hadn't looked. It's going to be a big weekend. If you're discouraged because camp's out, don't be. It's going to be a big weekend. Flip Turn, Saturday afternoon. And it tasted just like And when I asked for assistance, I did say, try to go catchy. Try to send me the ones that are quote unquote radio friendly. Sounds fine to me. 2 to 2.45 on Saturday. Now, this one I didn't need help with. Larkin Poe, it is another duo of females. I don't think they're related. This is the one that I knew, so I went with it. We used to play it at the We. They, when I was part of them, we. Uh, at Alt 98.7. Bleach Blonde, Bottle Blues. Poplar Stage on Saturday. 3.30 to 4.15, so another 45-minute set. I'm pretty sure they played Bonnaroo, and I know they played Riverbend. Got just tried to come up with a note for all of them here, and that's all I have. It's Larkin Poe on Saturday at Moon River. Now, the artist that, if anybody who knows my musical taste, if they were to guess, just take a stab in the dark, what I would be looking forward to most this weekend, I think anybody who has a working knowledge of my taste would say, well, Marcus King clearly would be who Brian is interested in. Um, he is a, he comes from that Southern Rock tree, younger guy, uh, Almond Brothers sound. So, yeah, of course, that's something that you would think I would know a lot about. I believe Marcus King toured with the Black Crows a couple of years ago when it was officially called the Marcus King Band. I don't know what the difference is between the band and Marcus King without the band name at the end. Um, but I don't know anything about him. I really don't. This song is called The Well. Marcus King will be on the Iris stage Saturday at 8.15. He's got an hour set. And he is also a Nashville guy. The sun will set on the Marcus King Show on Saturday at Moon River. Oh, 
Watching by the fires of hell If you want a drink of water Got to go to the well The cornerstone church Trying to curse my soul But the good Lord Give me that rock and roll So, yeah, you know I'll be there Can't say this song's really that good But it's the only one I'm familiar with Four more here, and then we'll wrap up this week's show. And uh, two of these I've never heard of before, and two I have. So we'll start with the two I have not. This band is called The Dip. And um, the only note I wrote to myself here is a band formed in 2013 by jazz students in Seattle. So the Seattle thing intrigues me a little bit, but the jazz thing doesn't. Sorry, 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 sorry. Jazz-infused and jazz-influenced um, music generally is not really my speed. This one's called When You Lose Someone from The Dip. Also can't say I like that band name all that much, but nobody asked me. The Iris stage on Saturday from 2.45 until 3.30. When you lose someone is the name of this one. Hey, at least I hit the mark. I hit the I hit the post. Sorry for the jargon talk, so we'll pull that down and we'll shift over here. This band. Assuming it's a band, or maybe it's just a... No, I think it's just a guy. Son Little. Son like... That's my son, my boy, my offspring, my son. Son Little, song's called Oh Me Oh My. He's a Philly guy. The son of a preacher man. So likely a little bit of soul, a little bit of... Sunday late morning style sound, I would guess. He'll be on the Irish stage on Sunday from 2.25. Surely that's not right. Well, sometimes Sunday afternoon until sometime about an hour-ish later. Sun Little with Omi oh Omai oh here at Moon River this weekend. Almost hit the post there. one I'm looking forward to. Uh, what day is this? This is Sunday at 4.15. I will definitely be there because I have listened to a little bit of this. This guy is um, used to be in the band called Need to Breathe. And this was a, I mean, I don't know if I'll call it a hit, but it was certainly a single that got a lot of radio play at Alt a couple of years ago. His real name is, well, I doubt his real name is Bear, but sure that's a nickname. But his last name is Reinhardt. He goes by Wilder Woods. And I remember at the time thinking, why is a guy call himself Wilder Woods? Well, turns out his kids are named Wilder and Woods. And since then, he has had another kid named Waters. So I wonder if that kid feels left out, that his dad's in a band that has his brother's names in it, but not his. Got a little supply and demand. Supply and demand is this one. Dude also played wide receiver at Furman. 
from 1999 to 2002, in case you wondered. From 4.15 to 5.15 on the Iris stage on Sunday. And one more to go here for you. Yes, it is Miley's sister. I don't know the age difference, um, but I really, really like the sound of it. This song is called July. The flip turn song was called August. This one's called July. And that's the only note I have about Noah Cyrus is that she's Miley's sister. I'm sure there's more interesting things out there to tell you, but that's all I got for you. You can hear it in her voice too. Not as much there, but you can hear that raspy, that raspiness on the front end there. That's a little bit more angelic. Noah Cyrus, 5:15 for an hour on the Poplar stage on Sunday. Sunday's turning out to be a pretty good day. I have no idea if the rest of her stuff is this speed. It could be faster. Might be a mix of, of, of the two. Might meet somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I'm a huge Miley fan, though. Huge Miley fan. More is just a person rather than the music. She's kind of like a new age Madonna. She just does everything so well. And she's just so impressive. And uh, so far, I'm impressed by her sister, Noah, as well. And that is all I got for you on the preview of Moon River. And we'll see. Is there going to be a replacement headliner on Saturday? We will all find out together, I would guess, soon enough. But I will just go ahead and go out on a limb and say that they probably won't fill that slot with a name of any real significance. That is my guess. But I also told you last year, don't worry, they're not canceling Sunday. Come on down, everybody. I did it on Twitter. I did it on Facebook. I did it on Instagram. I did it on stories. I said it all day. I And I had people on the ground. I had vendors inside I was talking to. I had uh, other officials that were texting with me. They had just as little information as I did, but since they were inside, I felt like I had something, and I said adamantly, don't Stay home. Don't be scared of the weather. Come on down. And then it got canceled. And then I don't think I even finished the reset earlier. Then they went to the Memorial Auditorium and had some kind of jam thing. At that point, I had been drinking all day and everything else because there was nothing else to do. So I sat in a parking garage and drank all day. And, you know, I went to the Memorial Auditorium, walked in and said, hmm, looks nice, and then went home. So... There you go. We'll find out soon on uh, that replacement or whether there won't be one at all. And maybe I'll see you this weekend. Maybe I won't. Or whatever it is you do, enjoy yourself. Appreciate you guys and gals finding the show. And, uh, hey, Pod Nuga, Pod Network guys and gals and people. Come on, baby. Let's make some money. Let's go. I got, I got people listening. You need more eyes and ears. Let's go. Let's go. 
All right, that's all. See you later, bye.